Today is October 19th, 2020. Mail-in voting still isn't decided for some states, even though we're only two weeks away from the election. Coronavirus cases continue to soar as politicians crowd surf at Trump rallies and relations with China get iced again over the weekend. Split the difference, friends, and split the difference, family. Welcome back. We got another fantabulous episode rolling out for you here, bright and early on Monday morning. Thank you for tuning in with us. I I can say with all honesty, this is the best. This is the best episode that we've got rolling out to you. And the reason I'm, there's a reason why. Okay, the reason why this is the best episode is because we got in, we put our boots on. And we did the research because right this week, this morning, we're looking at stuff on the left. We're looking at stuff on the right. We're trying to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. We got in and did the dirty work for you this weekend. And we let me tell you, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about this morning. So if uh, you're new to the podcast, thank you for checking us out. A little thing about what we do. Our goal here is not to not have opinions. It's it's not to be just so in the middle that uh, you don't agree with anything or don't have any outlooks on life at all or outlooks on politics at all. The goal here is to be reasonable, to be level-headed, to look at sides, both sides of the aisle, and try and find a little bit of them in between if you can, and uh, have a little bit of fun while you're doing it. So, listen. With all that being said, let's let's go ahead. Let's jump on into our story number one. So, story number one, uh, the mail-in voting is still a debacle, which is should be no surprise to everybody at all, because if there's anything in the United States that we do uh, very, very well is decide everything extremely slowly through all political processes. And that's on purpose. I'm not going to bag on that. But uh, here we are, about two, two and a half weeks out to the election, and we still don't know exactly how most states are going to be counting all their votes, how long they're going to be counting all their votes, what things they're going to allow, what things they're not going to allow. And there obviously is an incredible partisan divide along all of this. So, uh, so far this in 2020, there have been a record number of lawsuits related to changing voting laws across the United States. Um, there's also been a record number of early votes that have come in throughout the countries. So, Basically, what is happening is voting for voting all in all is done at the state level. So states, for the most part, kind of decide uh, how it is, what it is that they're going to allow. Are they going to be more lenient in terms of counting votes? Are they going to be more lenient in uh, where they have people going to vote, the necessary requirements that they have to show in order to uh, be able to vote in their precinct? Uh, and, you know, the states are kind of, it's up to them how it is that they want to have voting laws uh, how stringent they want to be about it. So, um, obviously, there are going to be uh, uh, some states that are more lenient, some states that are not. What has kind of started to happen is the states that are more lenient oftentimes are much more left-leaning or blue states. The states that are much more stringent are, a lot of times, the more right-leaning states. And we'll get into a little bit as to why that is and the different kind of arguments behind that. But So, North Carolina has gone back and forth multiple times about this. They've had different different measures that have been brought in that are aimed at um, 
making sure that the vote that voting that is taking place is quote unquote a little bit more legitimate, like making sure that there's no fraud there. And you know, the Rep- they've got a Republican governor there, uh, but they've got a little bit more of a left leaning court in some ways. They've got a little bit more of a left leaning legislator. So they've been kind of fighting back and forth. So uh, the Republican governor, his name is Greg Abbott. Uh, he is, you know, he is on the right side of the aisle. Uh, he wanted to basically go in to limit the number of drop boxes that they could be using. So drop boxing has become a huge hot point item here. Uh, there's some people that think that it's a great idea because it's going to be able to reduce the number of people that are like crowded together in a small area, thus avoiding hopefully problems from the pandemic. There's other people that think they're terrible because they could be just rife with fraud. It's much easier to go up and commit fraud, uh, any type of, I guess, voting fraud, uh, when if there's nobody manning a box or if it's just a random drop box out in the middle of nowhere and you can go in and either break into that drop box or just take a whole bunch of votes and just dump them in there and you have no idea who actually if those votes are legitimate or not. So um, the reason why Governor Abbott went through and tried to limit the number of drop boxes is because... Um, Basically, like I was saying, the Republicans are lining up a little bit more on trying to keep it a more a bit more stringent about um, not just uh, not just letting people willy nilly go out and have the opportunity for fraud. Uh, he's kind of making the argument that you, we need to be able to watch these drop boxes and we need to be able to make sure that fraudulent activity isn't happening for it. But a lower court there in North Carolina rebuked him from doing what. Um, from doing that, from limiting the number of drop boxes, kind of throwing a wrench into what many thought would be an end to what was happening in the North Carolina voting laws. So there's stuff uh, in a plenty of different states that have happened very, very similarly to this. Uh, Texas is a great example. Um, they tried to limit uh, drop boxes that could happen in Texas, um, but a, a court came through and was like, no, you can't do that. Like a lot, 30, I think it's something like 39 counties in Texas are actually bigger than the entire state of Rhode Island. So limiting, they were arguing that limiting the number of drop boxes would be not beneficial to the population as a whole. So there's a lot of things in play here, um, from ballot receipt deadlines, postal delays, uh, ballot drop boxes, balance uh, processes to fix ballot errors, um, and because all of this varies widely by by state to state to state, it's completely different all across the country. So. I guess what we can do then, go ahead and hop in. Let's take a look at what the left has to say, and then we'll hop in, take a look at what the right has to say, see if there's any middle ground, and kind of, I guess, look at both good sides and both bad stuff on both sides of the aisle. So the left argue that we should make it much easier to be able to vote and that we should be relaxing voting laws. So this is kind of a long-time talking point amongst the left. Um, so that Republicans purposefully make it more difficult to vote and to try to restrict the number of votes because they know that they won't get the popular vote. So they want to try and win based upon the Electoral College. Uh, this uh, Trump in 2016 is a great example. So there was not fantastic voter turnout as a whole in the 2016 election. Donald Trump won because he got 306 electoral votes and was able to beat Hillary Clinton, not based on popular vote. Hillary Clinton actually won the popular vote, so she had more votes overall, but she lost because of the electoral college system. So, um, 
they also, I think, the left in some ways are kind of bolstered by the pandemic right now. It's a very, very good argument to look at it and say, well, listen, like there are a lot of people that are immunocompromised, and it's not fair to ask them to go and stand out in lines uh, right beside a ton of people in a very, very large cl- in a very large crowd all day long during election day because oftentimes that's what's happened. I don't know what everybody else's experience has been like when going and voting. But I remember the first time that I ever voted, I had to go and stand out in a line for like three or four hours in order to get to cast my vote. Was it worth it? Absolutely it was worth it. Worth it. That was my patriotic duty as an American to go out and have the privilege to be able to vote. But obviously if there's somebody that's immunocompromised or if they're handicapped or if there's something that if there's something wrong especially during the middle of a pandemic that's extremely uh worrisome if you're immunocompromised the last thing that you want to do is go being standing around in very very large crowds next to people you know breathing all your air so uh a lot of what the left is doing right now is uh trying to push to allow people who maybe like there's a couple of different things. So one, they want to allow people to be able to cure their ballots. Um, curing their ballots basically means that if they mail their ballot in or if they submit a ballot um, that they and they say that they made an error, that they would be able to go back and cure it or fix the ballot. Um, some states have already pushed, uh, basically have already pushed to start counting mail-in ballots right now. Um, they want for people to be able to have as much ease and as much access as possible. So they want to be able to take, you know, you can mail us your ballot. We can go by ballot harvesting. A lot of the left wants to ballot harvest where you send people out to be able to pick ballots up from people's houses and take them, uh, back to, you know, federal officials to be counted and stuff. So, what the left is attempting to do is make it as easy as possible for people to be able to vote. They want as many people as possible to be able to vote. Um, they also, like we talked about earlier, are pushing to have more drop boxes and basically expand their use, have drop boxes on every corner, so that way people can go by and just drop a ballot in a box. They can send it in by mail. They can uh, hand it to a ballot harvester if somebody goes to walk by their house. Uh, that way they don't have to go to a voting booth, but they can if that's the way that they want to vote as well. So, good side of this, obviously it's a good thing if you can have more people in the country voting. The goal, obviously, would be to have the entirety of the electorate that is able to vote going out and casting their vote. Because there are not a lot of countries in the United States, or a lot of countries in the United States, a lot of countries in the world that you are able to go out and vote freely like you can in the United States. It's a privilege. It's, it's you know, a right as a United States citizen that you have to be able to go out and do that. Having more people that are casting their opinion is going to give you a more accurate representation of what the country wants, obviously. Now, there also is fraudulent activity, obviously, that can occur. If you are having more ways to be able to, more completely unsurveilled ways for people to be able to go in and cast their vote, then there's going to be plenty of opportunity for people to go in and commit fraudulent activity. That is just objectively true. So on the left side of the aisle, what they're arguing is not necessarily that fraudulent activity is not going to happen, but weeding through and figuring out a way to either reduce the number of fraudulent activity or just being okay with some fraudulent activity that's going to happen is worth it if it means getting more of the electric to be able to vote. So, the right side of the aisle. 
they tend to argue that a lot of these extremely lax policies are going to be done right now are being done very, very hastily, and it's going to lead to an incredible amount of fraud. So they've worked to try and keep the voting process as similar to 2016 as they possibly can. Um, Namely because they've argued that, listen, we don't necessarily have a problem with more of the electorate voting, but we need to figure out how to do it in a way that is safe and in a way that is not going to encourage fraudulent activity to happen. So they have won some victories on this, especially around ballot harvesting. So uh, ballot harvesting uh, is... You know, I guess like I mentioned earlier, going out and picking up people's votes. Um, it is rife with fraud out of all of the ways that the left, I think, is maybe pushing to have uh, voting changed this time around. Uh, ballot harvesting is definitely one of the ways that is most easily manipulated to be able to have um I, I guess people's actual votes or their votes changed or fraudulent activity type to happen. So um most states only allow a ballot to be transported by a family member. So the idea basically is uh, if you are unable to take your ballot or if you are unable to go to the voting station, you can have your son or your daughter or your husband or wife take your ballot and drop it off um, at the voting station. Uh, Oddly enough or funnily enough, um, the last big case where a politician was caught uh, defrauding using ballot harvesting was actually in North Carolina, and it was a Republican that was trying to get in. So um, Republicans see and they recognize that ballot harvesting is not a great way to be able to get votes in because it, it can you know be rife with conflict there. Um, Trump, from the very beginning, has decried foul, foul play in all of this. For months and months and months, Trump has been getting, jumping up and down about mail-in voting, saying that the, you know, that the Postal Service was going to get everything wrong, they were going to screw everything up, and uh, that it's inevitable that if there's uh, mail-in voting, that there's going to be uh, tons of fraudulent activity. I guess I like see a, a decent bit of where that like sentiment lines up, because all of us have had mail has had mail loss by the United States Postal Service. It is a widely known fact that the United States Postal Service is by far one of the least efficient government-run entities. But I don't see a ton of evidence from what I've been able to read that there is a lot of fraud that happens as a result of mail-in voting. So they did uh, they did some a, a study. Uh, I actually read this in a Bloomberg article um, that was done looking at some 250 million votes casted over the past 20 years, and they found that only 0.00006% of votes were fraudulent. Now, some of that is a little bit of like, all right, what was the breakdown of specifically mail-in votes? What was the breakdown of you know other ways to be able to vote? But it does not appear that fraudulent voting is an extremely large problem that we have in the United States. And it oftentimes feels like Trump is acting like we have a system that is rife with fraud and rife with corruption, when in reality we have one of the cleaner voting systems in the world. Now, I I know and recognize there are bad actors on both sides of the aisle. Totally get that. There's never going to be uh, th- there's never going to be a voting system or a democracy without sin, right? It's gonna happen, but um, I don't think that the United States voting system is just absolutely rife with problems the way that Trump is saying that it is. Um, Trump even came out a couple months ago, and I believe it was in July, late July, and said uh, that it suggested on Twitter 
that we should move the voting date back and was absolutely rebuked on both sides. Pretty much Republicans and Democrats all came together and were like, no, this is horrible. You can't say stuff like this. So uh, what do we say about both sides? So clearly we see that both sides of the aisle are very, very uh, passionate about this because quite literally it can and will decide elections. And this is a very, very pivotal election in a lot of people's opinions um, on both sides of the aisle. So I guess my I can give a little bit of my opinion here. Personally, I don't necessarily see that fraudulent activity happens in elections nearly as often as Republicans cry it out to be. Uh, I, I am all for opening up and having it, making it easier for people to be able to vote. The, um, how antiquated our voting system is, is absolutely mind boggling to me. I can flip open my phone and send money anywhere that I want in the world. I can call anybody that I want in the world. I can, uh, I can do pretty much anything and everything that I want. I can search stuff securely online. I can uh, order things and have it delivered to my door within a day, all from my cell phone. And I can't. I have to go. I have to, you know, go all the way down three miles in order to be able to, you know, walk and stand in line for four hours in my precinct in order to be able to vote. That's ridiculous. There's no reason why we should be able to do that with the technology that we have right now. But a lot of people don't want to invest in that technology because when you have more of the electorate voting, it's much more of a wild card. You don't know how that's how the voting block as a whole is going to vote because it's more people voting, right? So uh, I think that using drop boxes, uh, mail-in voting, early voting, all of that stuff, perfectly legal to do. And you have the opportunity to be able to get more of the electorate voting. There needs to be more people that are you know, willing and able to go out and cast their vote in the United States because it's an incredible right that we have. Um, but I also totally see that we need to make sure that it's not done in a fraudulent way. I don't think that we need to have police officers uh, or Republican or Democrat hired uh, people standing out beside voting boxes with a baton, making sure that things get done, you know, quote, in the right way. Uh, but you have to make sure that fraudulent activity is not happening. And a lot of that can and should be done through technology. There has to be ways that for the United States government to invest in proper technology to be able to make sure that fraudulent voting can't and won't happen at a rate that, you know, would be that would be uh, uh, not beneficial to us as a country and as a whole in counting votes. So, right now all I know is that we as an Amer- as Americans are in a point in time where we distrust our government probably now more than ever. Very few people really trust the government to be able to run and manage every single thing because they're looking at stuff like this mail-in voting debacle and uh, all the states flip-flopping back and forth and Trump crying foul on all of it. They're looking at it and they're like, well, what is right then? It doesn't seem like anybody's solving the problem. It just seems like everybody's complaining. So uh, what we need is obviously serious voting reform in America. Uh, if that if that means uh, investing in technology, if that means at least coming to some type of consensus across the aisle, there's got to be some type of reform there to make sure that the voting is done properly and it's not done fraudulently, um, while at the same time allowing as much of the electorate to be able to vote as possible. So with all that being said, let's go ahead, hop on into our story number two. So second story of the day. Uh, as of Friday, 
69,000, almost 70,000 new cases were reported across the country for coronavirus, which is the highest number that we've had countrywide since July. Um, according to CBS News, one in four coronavirus tests in Wisconsin are coming back positive. Uh, Wisconsin is one of seven states that have set records for coronavirus cases. And um, as a result of that, Wisconsin pushed to, to cancel a Trump rally there. Um, they weren't able to get it canceled, but, um, and you know, there's definitely a, a growing wave of fear that this coronavirus is going to continue to just run rampant through the United States, much worse than it was earlier in the year. Um, New Mexico has also seen, uh, cases rise and peak, uh, not only in new cases, but also in hospitalizations as well. Uh, the New Mexico governor came out, uh, Governor Grisham came out and said, we are not su succeeding in combating the virus. This is the most serious emergency that New, new Mexico has ever faced. So I think a lot of, especially state officials, are kind of starting to feel the crunch right now. There's a lot of people arguing that this is like the quote-unquote third wave of the coronavirus that we've had right now. Um there's a lot of places that have petitioned to keep state parks closed and keep, you know, local parks closed and that to not have Halloween. And a lot of people have gotten pushed back from that. Um, so there's I th things, I guess, are still a little bit divided about how uh, people are supposed to respond to all this. Um, and they are saying that Trump is purposefully pus pushing a false narrative around it. So. Um, we'll kind of, I guess we've talked a lot about this because this is a huge topic in the news right now. There's a bunch of people that are upset about how Trump has reacted to all of this and how Trump has, um, I guess kind of made it seem like the coronavirus is not nearly as big of a deal as it is. So, uh, Trump again came out and said something that was kind of a blunder. <laughs> he came out and said that the CDC released a stat I said 85% of people that wear masks get the virus. This report, so ABC reported on this, and they said this. The CDC reported Trump report Trump was referring to was published last month and found that dining out raised the risk of COVID-19 infection more than other social activities. The study was not designed to look at mask effectiveness, but surveyed behaviors of 314 symptomatic people who sought out coronavirus testing at 11 particular sites around the country in July. It found that of 154 symptomatic people who tested positive, 85% said they had worn a mask either always or often over, four, over the 14 days prior to the onset of their illness. So basically what the CDC study was looking at was uh, not if a mask was going to protect you from the virus, it was just asking people if they'd had the virus, had they worn a mask within the past two weeks. 85% of the respondents said yes, because 80, I, the vast majority of people that I know wear a mask all the time when they go out. If everybody is wearing a mask when they go out, then that means that the vast majority of the people that do end up getting coronavirus obviously are going to be wearing a mask frequently when they're going out in public. That also does... That is obviously not going to stop Trump, though, from going out and saying stuff that is just incredibly ill-informed. So um, he has also repeatedly said that getting the virus was he was almost kind of like the uh, the sacrificial lamb for the country. If Donald Trump hadn't gotten the virus, then we wouldn't even know how to fight it right now. Uh, he's also keeps saying that he is now immune, <laughs> which his doctors 
continually have to say is that they don't know is true or not, but Trump is coming out and saying it. So all of this to say, hilariously, there's a Georgia state representative, is a Democrat, his name is Vernon Jones. He's gotten a lot of airtime for the Republicans over the past couple months because Vernon Jones is a Democrat, very very obviously very moderate Democrat, that is a huge Trump supporter, which is not very common. Um, so he goes to this Trump rally on Saturday and decides that he wants to crowd surf in a, I mean, a sea of just maskless people. Vernon Jones hops up. He's up there gassing everybody up, getting everybody excited at this Trump rally, which I personally have never been to a Trump rally, but I can imagine those things are on and popping. I feel like every single time I watch a video of a Trump rally, those people are in there just getting it, just going wild. So he's at this Trump rally getting everybody gassed up, just whoa, having a good time. He jumps into the crowd crowd surfs that baby just gets out there and kills it <laughs> everybody's looking around like it's almost like the pandemic doesn't even exist to these people anymore it's almost like it's just not even true it's all just a figment of our imagination so um obviously democrats said that this was terrible <laughs> said that this was awful, that Donald Trump didn't care about the coronavirus. He's making it sound like it's not real, like it's not a big deal, when it is in fact a big deal and he needs to be serious about it. So uh, Dr. Fauci in a 60-minute episode on Sunday said that he would not push for another shutdown unless things got, quote, really, really bad. So he said that there are other health, public health measures that can be used to slow the spread, same stuff that anybody and everybody always knows, washing your hands, wearing your mask, socially distancing. Um, and he said this, which I thought was interesting. Quote, first of all, the country is fatigued with restrictions. So we want to use public health measures not to get in the way of opening the economy, but to be a safe gateway to opening the economy, he said. So um, what I guess we know what the left and the right thinks about this. We think that the left thinks that Trump is crazy, that he's saying all this stuff and he's putting people's lives in danger. Trump is saying that, you know, he's 74 years old. He just pushed through it. He's going to be fine. And that, you know, uh, the coronavirus, does, you don't, we don't need to be fearing the coronavirus nearly as much as the Democrats say that we should. So um, in the midst of all this, what I have to say, and the credence is as awful, I do not like Trump's behavior right now, and I don't condone the behavior that Trump has. Making it seem like the pandemic is a uh, something that shouldn't be taken seriously, or uh, making it seem as if the pandemic isn't going out and killing hundreds of thousands of people right now is not what Trump needs to be doing. Of course he should be taking it seriously. But, and I'm going to say but here, we have seen a dramatic lowering in the number of deaths compared to the number of cases. So as a percentage of new cases, deaths are down significantly. And Fauci is absolutely right that people are tired of shutdowns. People don't want to be in country or in states or in cities where they are not allowed to go out and and live about their daily life. I think that Trump, the main argument that Trump is making here is that we have never in America's history at a federal or state government level limited people in the way that the government is trying to limit people now and has limited people in the shutdowns amongst uh, uh, among, for the coronavirus. 
Now, obviously, that's a little bit exaggerated. There, of course, have been times where the government has stepped in and limited people's rights, uh, sometimes completely unjustly, right? But what people are worried about is what happens when we give the government the power to be able to tell us when we can and can't leave our homes? Are we going to get that power back? Very, very few times in the history of the world is power given to a government and then later on given back to the people. That doesn't happen very frequently, and I don't see it happening in the United States either. I think that the vast majority of people are smart enough and responsible enough to be able to decide whether or not they should be wearing masks, that they should be using hand sanitizer if they go out, and they should be washing their hands and staying six to ten feet away from people. I think most people are okay with doing that, that need to do that. And then it's on the responsibility of every single person's individual you know, basis to be to decide whether or not if they're going to be coming in contact with somebody that's immunocompromised, then they need to make sure that they are overly cautious in the way that they go about doing their life. Um, what, what I guess when it comes down to it, what we're seeing now is that serious changes likely are not going to happen and a significant drop in the number of coronavirus cases is not going to happen until either one, it has gone through the entirety of the population and most people are either immune to it or uh, have a built-up immunology for the disease or unless a wide-scale vaccine is made that we can roll out to the majority of people that get it or that may come in contact with it. So I don't see a lot of changes happening, but I think that it's also clear we can't shut the economy down either. A lot of the stuff that uh, are, is that are horrible results of the economy being completely shut down and people not being able to leave their houses are not really being talked about right now because Donald Trump is standing up saying a whole bunch of ridiculous crap on a stage and having other politicians crowd surf across maskless people. So he's kind of taken away from the conversation a little bit. So all that to be done for our story number two, let's go ahead and hop into our story number three. So, uh, story number three, China threatens to arrest American nationals living in China right now. Um, it's no secret to the majority of Americans that relations between Trump and uh, China and the United States and China are not great and haven't been great for a while. So, uh, China started issuing the warning uh, this summer after the United States began arresting a series of Chinese scientists who were visiting American universities across the country. Uh, they were there to you know, supposedly conduct research, and they charged them with concealing U.S. immigration authorities, their active duty statuses within the People's Liberation Army. So basically what happened is you have Chinese scientists and researchers that are coming over to American soil, working in American universities to conduct research, but they're actually a part of the Chinese army. Probably not good. So this is not the first time that China has used arresting Americans to gain some kind of leverage over the United States government. Uh, they've done it actually with multiple other countries as well. There was actually a travel advisory issued by the United States um, government uh, a little bit over the summer that, or I guess, I think it was actually maybe in September, uh, that issued a, tra it was a travel advisory issued basically saying, be cautious of going to China because the Chinese government likes to arrest people from foreign countries and as to use as leverage against their government. So... Uh, tensions between the U.S. and China have progressively gotten worse over the past couple years. Uh, multiple reasons for this. Coronavirus, for which Trump has you know, obviously blamed on China. He calls it the China virus. 
<laughs> also, side note, Xi Jinping, uh, the president of the Chinese, uh, president in China, um, I guess he would be equivalent to the president of China, but he is the guy that basically holds the pin on pretty much everything for the Communist Party in China. When Trump got the coronavirus, he came out and said that he was very sorry to hear about it, but he said that it was now it now should be called the American virus. <laughs> it just. Xi Jinping is almost, he's very similar to Trump in a lot of ways, which I guess is good and bad. But so um, over the past couple of years, uh, Trump has obviously come after China in, um, in a lot of ways. One, he, trade war has absolutely un- unleashed, unleashed all the tariffs and done everything he can to be able to stop China from taking uh, intellectual property from the United States. He's, he's caused a lot of tension there in the trade war. Trump has obviously repeated, repeatedly blamed China for the virus. And now, um, you know, you have the United States stepping up and making a more concerted effort to uh, uh, I guess safeguard our American interest in universities and to be much more weary of Chinese nationals that are coming to the United States uh, that may have maybe more nefarious types of uh, looks on things. So um, recently, China also arrested two Canadians and charged them with espionage over the summer. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau there in Canada denounced the attacks and is trying to work and to get the citizens back. All of this is definitely not a good look for China and. It uh, threatens to make the relations between the U.S. and a lot of the um, a lot of the Western democracies much more, I guess, contemptuous between all these democracies and China. Um, I think at this point, both the right and the left agree that protecting American citizens from a hostile foreign communist government is of the utmost importance. Both the left and the right agree with that, but the left and right, I think, kind of disagree on the way to go about doing that. Um, Trump and the Republicans have moved away from a more open market and free trade type of outlook that has historically been there for Republicans um, to a more isolationist type of view on foreign relations with China. Um, And a lot of actually more of the old school Republicans kind of don't like this. This is why there's been a huge never Trump portion of the Republican Party. Uh, There's a lot of people that don't like this populist, isolationist type of move that Trump has kind of consolidated the Republican Party in and moving towards. So uh, the left side of the aisle, though, has often criticized Trump's souring relationships with China and oddly enough has kind of defended a lot of the stuff that China does or defended things based upon they say that Trump is racist for wanting trade wars and stuff with China. So uh, a great example of this was in February or March when Trump came out and uh, ended all the tra- all of the travel back and forth from China because the coronavirus had started there and was spreading in Wuhan, uh, all almost the entirety of the far left wing, especially the left wing media, all came out and said that Donald Trump was a racist for doing this and that it was uh, him going through and basically trying to make it seem like uh, this is this is a result of the Chinese and that you know he he just didn't like Chinese people. Well, it turned out Trump was right and that he saved countless Americans lives because he ended travel with with China. It was a very very smart thing to do. Um so it the left is it almost is like Donald Trump and the Republicans say that they don't like China because China's a bad actor, and the left comes in and is like, well, we don't like anything that Trump does, so the enemy of our enemy is our friend. Not, a, honestly, a great look. I personally don't love uh, an isolationist move. I would like to have more free markets. I would like to have more open trade. Um, 
because I think that open trade allows for uh, markets that are going to be more free and more competition to be able to uh, to be able to grow and to be able to be nurtured. Um, there's plenty of smart people in China. There's also plenty of smart people in the United States. And being able to sell across those borderlines, I think, oftentimes to lead to more prosperity for both countries. Um, I don't like the isolationist move. I think that in a lot of ways, it's going to end up hurting the Republican Party in a long in the long run because uh, historically Republicans have always pushed for free markets and have always wanted to stay away from tariffs and have always wanted to stay away from uh, restricting t- trade activity because it is artificially manipulating markets. But you know that's kind of the Trump Republican Party now. It's all about this kind of like more populist nationalist feel behind American interests. So there's been times where that's wavered back and forth in the United States history. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. Um, the left though coming out of basically just hating everything that Trump does and not having an actual policy towards China that is coherent is not a good look either. So. Um, this will be interesting to see how this goes forward uh, here in the next couple weeks leading up to the election, though, because uh, if there's Trump normally touts his the way that he's dealt with China, because a lot of people in the United States don't think that uh, we should let Russia or China just kind of walk all over us as Americans. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays into uh, voters perceptions of what's going on here over the next couple of weeks. So. Uh, With all that being said, let's go ahead and end that third story and let's head on into our final segment, my favorite segment, called Made Me Smile. So something this week that made me smile, or I guess over the weekend, it more or less actually didn't really make me smile, kind of. It more of was just something that was really interesting that I think that everyone should check out. So my father-in-law actually sent over or told my wife and I that we need to watch this uh, documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. It is fascinating. I'm not going to tell you every single thing about it because I really want for you to be able to watch it. But the premise of the documentary is that it has, it's a whole bunch of people that have worked as executives or higher-ups in Silicon Valley for a lot of these very, very large social media giants and tech companies. And they go through and they start describing how all of these various little things are affecting us as just your everyday user on uh, these different social media platforms. It is fascinating. Um, after you know, we watched a good portion of it, I remember looking over my wife and being like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. Like absolutely craziness. So you definitely need to watch it. The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Go and check it out. It is interesting. Probably going to blow your mind a little bit and make you want to put your smartphone down for a while. So with all that, that's the show. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for having some fun. We looked at the left. We looked at the right. We tried to find that sweet difference there in the middle. Uh, Thank you for checking me out. If this is your first time, please like me. Please follow, subscribe on all the various social media platforms. We're on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. We're on YouTube at the channel name Split the Difference. Uh, Please check out the website, splitthedifference.com with only one T. Hop on there, look around, shoot me a message, say hey, tell me what you like about the show. Uh, if you have anything, I guess, feedback or any big things that you feel like you want to hear, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Um, uh, thank you for tuning in, checking us out. Always, as always, we're going to end the show with what we know we need to be doing. We need to keep a level head, right? We need to be reasonable. Always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.